Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. Very, very good. Well, uh, it's uh, beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I love this time of, uh, of the year. Gail and I do some kind of traditional things. There's a, uh, a little uniting church that's not that far from uh, where we live, and they always put on like nativity scenes and uh, you know they they have shepherds and it's a really old church they've kind of gotten you know up in the up in the years I don't think they've had any younger people coming in there and uh, but we always go there and and just sit have a cup of tea walk around look at you know what they've 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 put the big effort into to do that it's kind of a kind of a tradition that we do at Christmas. There's other places where you can go and visit and, and uh, look at the neighborhood lights. Anybody like that? You walk walk around and go through the neighborhood. Where I come from in uh, in the States, it really does look like Christmas. People just go all out uh, putting lights in their houses and, you know, the streets and everything else. Uh, where Gail's hometown is in Wagga Wagga. Everybody say Wagga. Okay, don't don't call Wagga 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 though. There's a song called that. You got to say it twice. It means uh, crows. Actually, the word Wagga means crows. And if you say something in the Aboriginal language, if you say it twice, it means there's a lot of them. But I've found there's more crows here on the on the Sunshine Coast than there are in Wagga Wagga. But anyway, in Wagga, uh, they the fire department comes and they spray like white foam all over the front of one of the. I don't know if it's a church or a school or something, but it's supposed to look like snow, only it's like 40 degrees heat. It's incredible. That's Celsius. That's like 80-something in Fahrenheit. So, you know, it's, it's, Christmas is different wherever you celebrate it. And here, it's a definite uh, beach feel, hot weather. It's, it's just Christmas flipped upside down from where I knew it. But in any event... It is the season, and we are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. It's uh, not the technically his date, but you know we're heading into that. And I find more people are more open during Christmas probably than any other time of the year, except maybe Easter. And I find that the people, you know, they're 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 more open to come to church. They're more open to talk about God, acknowledge Him, and perhaps in this season of of this pandemic. Uh, there's a big opportunity there as people are asking why and what the heck am I here for and you know what's this all about well I'm so glad that we have the answer to that question let's not keep it uh, keep it in the bottle let's get it out of the bottle I was talking with somebody not long ago about they're into wine and uh, they're talking about penfolds and how a bottle of uh, of grains will cost like it could be in the thousands of dollars and it actually gets more with time uh, but you know putting that if you're into that if you you know like a drop of wine or whatever I don't but that's okay uh, you know why keep it in the bottle you know you want to get the champagne you want to get whatever your, <laughs> your favorite drink is you know uncork the bottle and drink the stuff for goodness sakes you know uh, and that's the way it is with faith we need to get our faith out of the bottle we need to get our you know get engaged with this world and and, and engage the the issues and, and don't skirt around them deny them or pretend like we don't have an answer because we've got the answer to this world's problems his name is Jesus Christ uh, Jesus means yeah. Savior, amen. Savior is is to save people from all this this junk that's going on. We're in a series called uh, Faith Formation. I believe that this morning 
will be the last of the series, and I think it's number 10 or 11, something like that. Uh, you can catch up on all of those if you go to our YouTube channel, City, uh, City Church Sunshine Coast. You'll see uh, all of them right back to the beginning on the 16th of August, my birthday, where we started uh, talking about substance abuse. Faith is a substance uh, of things hoped for. Nothing to do with drugs, I might add, but catchy title, I thought. Uh, so 10 or 11 Later in the series, uh, messages later, we come to today. This is a message that, quite frankly, I, I really struggled with. Because uh, it tends to not, well, I'll just put it bluntly, it's not a feel-good. It's just not a feel-good message in any respect at all. And I've called this morning's message, the, the title of it is Faith's fin Finest Hour. Faith's Finest Hour. And you'll, you'll know where I got this from as this message unwraps. And I, I began to think, if faith had a finest hour, what would that finest hour be? And of course, I had to go back to Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the uh, Heroes of Faith chapter. Only as I started reading through that and looking at all these heroes, I, I realized that if you were to ask any of these people that are mentioned here for doing incredible things, it talks about uh, you know, Enoch being translated. He just was so close to God that whew, God just took him up to heaven and said, I can't resist you anymore. I'm not leaving you on earth, you and me, forever. Uh, I think about uh, Abel and Cain, and Abel offered a, a greater sacrifice than Cain. Cain didn't want to give God uh, his first and his best, and, and he murdered his brother Abel. Uh, over money, still people are still murdering over money today. Fancy that, and uh, you know, and God mentions him in the Heroes of Faith chapter. But if you were to walk up to any one of them and say, "Man, like you are such a hero," I really believe that they would say, "No, no, 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 I'm not a hero." Have you ever watched something on the news and perhaps, you know, some neighbor rescues somebody, there's a fire next door or whatever, the granny's going to burn with the cat and the neighbor runs in, grabs the granny out, gets the, goes back in, gets the cat out. Then they interview the reluctant hero. They say, wow, you know, did you ever think you were going to be a hero? And they say, well, I'm not a hero. They'll say something to the effect of, I, I just did what anybody would do. I just did what you're supposed to do as a, as a good human being. I just did that. And I would say with the heroes of faith, uh, I don't think they would accept the badge or the title, if you will, uh, of hero. I think they would simply see it as I was obedient to do what God told me to do. In fact, in, uh, at the end of the whole thing in Revelation chapter 4, uh, I'll just read this. This is one of the greatest acts of humility, I think, ever recorded, and it's something that's going to happen sometime in the future, and, uh, and, I, and we're going to be there. Revelations 4.10 says this, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne. Now, these 24, it doesn't tell us who they are. Some speculate it's the, you know, the 12 disciples plus you know, one other uh, from each tribe. Uh, some people speculate it that, that it is these heroes of faith, as we call them, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. Whoever they are, God knows that. They're not listed by name, however. For all I know, you could be one of them. And uh, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And this is what they say. This is what they do. 
They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Faith doesn't make heroes. You will never be the narrative of the story. History is his story. It's all about him. And the fact that we have a story to tell that points to him is incredible. The fact that we have a testimony to how good he was in taking us through the test, that we actually have a story or a testimony. I love that fact, but we must remember that it really is all about him, not about you and not about me. Whenever we become uh, the center of the story and we're you know, often guilty of that, of look what my faith got me. I was believing for, and then you can fill in the blank, whatever that was, and, and your faith got you that. Well, I've got news for you. Your testimony is that God is faithful to do what he said that he would do. It's not about you. God did it then, and he will do it again. But, the, but this morning's message is that your darkest hour can become faith's finest hour. Yeah. Your darkest hour. So how does that happen? It happens, and I've got four points, and uh, they're pretty simple ones, but we're going uh, to see that in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 through the life of Moses. Mainly, we could follow all of these others, but I, w- I want us just to look at Moses uh, because I think these four points are worth bearing out on uh, what Moses went through and how he came uh, to be in that Hebrews chapter 11 anyway, great faith chapter. And so my first point is uh, faith uh, becomes, or your darkest hour rather becomes your finest or faith's finest hour when, number one, you refuse to be someone you're not. Do you know, the devil wants to claim you as his kid. He claims you right back at the beginning. In fact, he will claim you as his before you're even born. If he can't kill you in the womb and you actually get born into this life, then uh, his second best option is to say, well, I'll, I'll raise the kid. You don't need to raise him. I'll raise him and I'll teach him everything they need to know in life. And so he's after your identity. We hear a lot of preaching on identity, but this morning, as tempted as I am to go there for for identity to basically tell you how great you are, that's not this message. I can preach that, and I can preach it with a lot of passion, and I can give you 50 million scriptures to back it up, and some really cool stories about how God takes this person, you know, brings them out of that, and brings them into become a somebody, and all the rest of it, but this is not that message. This is not about that. That's why I said uh, I saw... struggled a bit. There's tension in this message this morning that's supposed to be there that keeps him as the narrative that that keeps the the focus on faith's finest hour is going to be the darkest hour. So look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24. And we're looking again at Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, 
Now, you got to remember, we'll pause right there because you can go back in Exodus and you can read about Moses' upbringing. It's, it's fantastic. And, and Stephen, before he's martyred, he talks about Moses more than anybody else in his narrative in Acts chapter 7. And we might actually look a little bit of, uh, at that. But Moses didn't have an ordinary upbringing. He had a, uh, quite a miraculous uh, start. You might remember that the, the Pharaoh had issued a decree to kill all the kids uh, under two years old. I believe it was, same as when Jesus was born. He, he, he heard about this person that was coming. He's like, we're going to kill them all. We're going to stop the spread of these Hebrews and the power that they have, and we're just going to kill all the kids. And, and you know, he's doing that today. He's doing that before people are born today. You say, oh, are, are you, uh, you know, are you, uh, do you have a, an agenda? Yes, stop the genocide. That's the agenda. The devil hates children. And, uh, and, and he tried to do that. So Moses' mother puts him in a little basket, floats him down the Nile, and, uh, and Pharaoh's daughter ends up intercepting that and raising him. Now, I've been to Egypt. I don't know if you've ever been to Egypt or not. Seeing the Great Pyramids are still there, and they are great. You know, the remnants of the Sphinx is still there with uh, bits of it missing from when Napoleon's army came in and blew, you know, decided to have cannon practice on the Sphinx. Hello, guys. You know, do you ever think that maybe those things uh, should have been left alone for future generations? But even looking at the remnant, like two to 4,000 years later of what Egypt is even today with all of that, like I was gobstruck. Quite frankly, it, you know, it was on my bucket list. And Egypt is absolutely incredible. If you go to the Egyptian museum or some of the uh, Egyptians in, in the uh, museums in the world, you'll just see all of the stuff that they pulled out of the tombs and the records of, of just how incredibly powerful and, and opulent that whole empire was. And here's Moses. He's not just you know, a, a nobody in Egypt. He's a somebody. He is the technically... Uh, adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's destined for the throne. He's getting fed, you know, the, from the finest. He's getting tutored and educated. He's learning all of the language and the skills and his, his uh, education because he's being groomed to, to sit in a very, very powerful position. But by faith, it says, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What is it in your life right now that you could just keep on going, but it's taking you in a direction away from God? Oh, you'll be known for somebody. You'll probably be a somebody in some realm. And, and if that's somebody that, that, that you are becoming or that direction that you are, are, are going in, if that's taking you away from the person that God wants you to be and the direction that God wants you to go in, well, be like Moses because faith's finest hour is when you stop and you go, I refuse to be that person even if that person is attractive, even if that person is famous and rich and everything else, if it's not the identity that God gives me as his child, then I don't want it. Faith refuses that. 
I like what the Hebrew, uh, you know, the, the Hebrews in Babylon there, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, and, and of course Daniel, uh, you know, they were Hebrews, but they're in captivity in Babylon, and they're, they're being fed all the foods of Babylon. They're getting the education. They renamed them according to the Babylonian gods, and, and yet they refused. It says they started fasting all that food. They said, no, we're not eating that. Keep it. I'm not eating it. And they didn't just have a hunger strike. They had a, that's not my identity strike. They decided to refuse to do that. I don't know if you've ever refused something that most people say, you're mad. Like, what are you talking about? Why would you refuse that? I remember once when, um, you know, one of my many jobs, uh, putting myself through college and then through Bible college uh, some years later, uh, I had a job as a bellman at a hotel in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which led to another job, which was pretty cool, driving a, a big stretch limousine. And, uh, but as that Bellman job, I noticed that uh, nobody was paying taxes on their tips. And our tips were substantial. That's when people you know, pull out some money, cash, and they give it to you for uh, carrying their suitcases. So as a Bellman, I would come home with a wad of cash in my pocket from the night's takings. And I found out that Legally, that I was supposed to declare that money to the U.S. government. Now the U.S. government takes it out. They tax you on it even if you don't get it. So if you don't tip the waiter, uh, they lose money on the deal. They've, they've gotten smart, the IRS, and they've calculated how much you should have made. But I, I remember how convicted I was, and so I, I went to my boss, the bell captain. I said, uh, you know, does anybody pay you know, taxes on the, on the tips. And he said, no, no, we don't do that. And I, and, uh, and I went and I, I talked to some of the other guys that were working. They're all going to Bible college like myself. Uh, aren't we supposed to pay taxes on, on the tips? Doesn't the government say that we, we legally are, we're supposed to do that? Yeah, but we don't. They can't catch us. And I remember I was so convicted because that was not my identity. Thief, dishonest, liar. <laughs> you know, however you want to skirt around that one. It's not my identity. And so I said, I'm going to pay taxes on my tip money. Well, my boss was ropeable. He said, if you do it, then we're all going to have to do it. And basically, you're going to lose your job. And I thought, well, I'd rather lose my job than lose my identity and who I am in Christ. And he is faithful and true, and he is my provider. So I had to actually go to HR, to Human Resources, to get the forms. And they were shocked. Like, what do you want? I, I want the forms to fill out to declare my tip money. What? Nobody's ever done that. Why? Like, you're mad. And, and I, I really couldn't explain it to them because, you know, they were not following Jesus, these people. And, but I remember I started doing that. Quickly, I got transferred off the most lucrative shift onto the night shift where you're not supposed to make any money because nobody's checking into the hotel. The very first person that I checked in had dr driven up, uh, taken a taxi. I carried one suitcase up to the room, and the guy gave me 50 bucks, which we're talking like, you know, back in 1984, something like that. 50 bucks was a lot of money for carrying one suitcase. I started making more money on that shift that they put me on uh, as a penalty or a punishment than anybody else. Quickly, I got transferred back to another shift. Figure that one out. And, uh, but I'll never forget, one of the guys that I was working with who was wanting to be a missionary, he was going to the same Bible college, and, and, and he goes, you know, you do that, we're all going to do it. 
and I've got a family to feed, and I can't afford, it's, it's fine for you, you're single, you know, you can go ahead and do that, but I've got a family to feed, blah, blah, blah. And I said, what are you going to do when you graduate? He goes, well, I'm going to the mission field. How are you going to survive over there? Well, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm going to trust God. Well, why don't you trust God now? Why are you going to wait till you're in Africa or whatever, and then you're going to trust God, you know, as people are building fires and, you know, living in huts? Why don't you trust God now? Why don't you refuse to be who you're not? What is it in your life that you need to say no to? I said this is not, you know, a feel-good message is what this one is not a feel-good message. Faith is not a feel-good. Acts chapter 7, listen to this. This is Stephen's narrative now of, of, of the same uh, part of Moses' life, verse 21. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. He is being groomed to be the PM. He is groomed to be a leader in the most powerful nation on the planet back then whose remnants we still uh, look at and admire. This is who he is, but he said no. See, the devil wants to own you. He wants to define you. He wants to define you by where you were born, who you were born from, he likes to define you by your handicap. The Bible says, you know, the man with the withered hand, they called him. Oh, the blind guy that sat by the gate. Oh, certain lepers. He, he likes to define you by what, whatever it is, the woman with the issue of blood. Oh, you're from that family. Oh, you are, you are uh, that stuff up. Nothing goes right with you. Faith doesn't leave you before faith find, where faith finds you. It doesn't leave you the same places where it finds you. You are better, but sometimes you have to refuse things that are tasteful, things that taste good. Faith is a whole other realm, and Moses refused to be a relative of Pharaoh. Moses refused to be a slave of sin. Moses refused to be a citizen of Egypt. Egypt represents the kingdom of darkness and it represents sin. He refused to be a citizen or a slave to sin and all of that represents. It took faith to do that. Faith's finest hour is when faith refuses to take an identity on that doesn't belong to you. So what gave Moses such fearless faith? This is something for all you parents, and it's certainly something for this church as our, our, our mission is raising generations, reaching nations, to, to raise up generations, whether they're your own children uh, biologically or not. For us to do this is such a privilege and such an honor because everything reproduces after its own kind. I had a talk with somebody not that long ago, and they said, oh, I don't go to church because, you know, the church is full of liars, cheaters. You know, they're, they're worse than the people in the world. And I said, man, I, I don't even disagree with you on that one. But where did all those people come from in the church? You know, you're a liar and, and you're in the church. Who made you a liar? The church? I doubt it. Society, you got that out there. You got that by being a child of the devil, not a child of God. Oh, they, you know, they, and, and he listed all this stuff, and they're hypocrites. I said, who made them that way? Don't blame the hospital for the sick people. Blame society for the sick people. 
They messed them up, made them sick. We're trying to fix them up. You don't walk into the hospital and go, the trouble with this hospital is it's full of sick people. Well, of course it is, knucklehead. What do you think it's for? The church is a place where dysfunctional people that, are, that were raised by the devil, they come in. Now we've got to fix them up, but the world stuffed them up. And so, uh, but, but how did that happen? What gave Moses such fearless faith? I'm glad you asked. Verse 23 of Hebrews 11. <laughs> By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. Why did they do that? Because they were afraid of Pharaoh? No, it gives the answer right here. Because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. His parents saw something in him. Parents, listen to me. You've got to see something in your children, something bigger than what Egypt, Pharaoh, this world has to offer. And they were not afraid to refuse or to say no to the king, to say no to Pharaoh, to say no to what this world has to offer their children. They saw something special in Moses. That's why they did it. That's why they hid him. It wasn't that they were just afraid he was going to get killed. Number two, number two, how does, how does your darkest hour become faith's finest hour? When does that happen? When you choose God's plan over sin's pleasure. Listen to verse 25. We're in Hebrews 11 again. Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated. Oh, man. How many people here just love pain? You know, no hands are going up. Uh, if they did go up, I'd say, well, we need to talk. Uh, uh, you know, I will do about anything to get out of pain. I've had some really severe pain from uh, injuries over the years where, you know, neck pain, back pain, that kind of headaches, migraines, all that kind of stuff. Like, if there's a pill to take to, to get rid of it, I'm taking it. If there's a way out of the pain, I'm taking it. Most of us, we would do anything except choose to be mistreated. Listen to this again, because this is faith's finest hour. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. Most, most people, uh, uh, they'll, they'll dis disown the church. I don't, I'm not part of that. No, no, that's another, that's not me. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, faith chooses pain over pleasure when the pleasure is called sin. Uh, you know, so many times, whatever God's asked me to do, it, it led to mistreatment on so many jobs and they find out that you're a believer, you're a churchgoer, you're a Christian, then the mockery starts. You know, it happens as soon as you, as soon as you fly the flag that you're a believer, you go, what did you do on the weekend? Oh, you know, I went for a walk on the beach. What else did you get up to? What did you do on Sunday? Oh, <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> went to church. Oh. <laughs> what? You went what? Where? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I went to church. Oh, I didn't know you were religious. Well, I'm well, not religious. Uh, you know, I'm not religious. It's not about religion. Uh, so many of us just, we don't want to fly that flag. See, because it's not cool in some people's eyes. 
I remember when one of my best friends, you know, growing up through high school anyway, his name was Ed as well, and, you know, I'd gone to the dark side, and Ed had gone to the dark side, and both of us were known as walking on the dark side. <laughs> and the only thing is I got saved from some dear old ladies, Mrs. Peterson, and a whole bunch of other dear old women <laughs> that would invite me to church and gave me a Bible, and they'd come to pick me up at church. I was in a hotel room. I thought, I'll fix them. I'm not going to church with them. So I'd smoke a joint. They'd open up the door, get hit with a blast of, you know, weed smoke. And you know what they do? <clears throat> Fight their way through the, come on. Come on, we're going to church. I'm like, nothing. Nothing would stop these women. You know? They were just like, they were determined to get me saved. <laughs> But my friend Ed, you know, he didn't. And he ended up owning a whole string of brothels in America. It was illegal and doing, you know, he, he continued doing cocaine, other, dealing drugs and stuff. And, uh, and I'll never forget it because I thought I'll give Ed a call, or he gave me a call, I forget which. We're talking on the phone, and, I, and he goes, so what are you up to? And then he goes, I heard that you got religious. I'm like, oh, you know, no, no, not religious. Did the whole spiel. And then... Uh, and then he starts mocking me. He goes, uh, well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm listening to it. Because he invited me to be part of his business. And I thought, no, no, no. I'm not, going, I'm not turning back down that. It's a dark road. And, uh, but very lucrative one for him. He's telling me about all the fringe benefits of owning a string of brothels. And, you know, this is like, this is the best, play, best thing I've ever done, blah, blah, blah. And I said to him, as he's saying, praise the Lord, and mocking, I said, the only thing I'm sad, Ed, is that when you say praise the Lord, that you really don't mean it and that you don't know what I know. I wouldn't trade what I've got now for anything. And I was single at the time, and he goes, you know, well, you know, you're not going to get any sex. I said, I will when I get married someday. You know, the woman of my dreams, I'll, don't worry about that one. But until then, I'm not really worried about that one either. And he was mocking, and he hang up. Two weeks later, he, he dropped dead talking to his mother on the phone. He dropped dead of a brain aneurysm. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I wonder if anything I said sunk into his brain. I hope so. You know, I... I, I <laughs> God's hands, hey. But sometimes when life's not fair, we go through these incredible trials and we start asking God, why God, why God? Do you notice when Paul went through more trials than you and I are probably ever going to go through, he never once asked why. Moses never once asked why. Why am I going through this? It's just not fair. Yeah, life's not fair. Good, you know, bad things happen to good people. Sometimes you choose to be mistreated for the sake of the gospel. That's why faith's finest hour can be your darkest hour. It's not about how much you're going to get because of your faith. Jesus isn't the why. I say this all the time. He's the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is not the why. Why is the wrong question to ask. And God in you will stand up when you can't stand. In, uh, in Acts chapter 7, we won't go. We'll just look at verse 56. But, you know, uh, Stephen is about to get martyred, and, and, he, and he really... He just gets stuck into these religious people, these Pharisees at his trial there in Acts chapter 7. And then in verse 56, he says, look, he said, 
I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He, he, he got stuck into him saying, you killed all the prophets and you killed this one. Only this prophet, Jesus, is the Son of God and you killed him and he's coming back to judge you and he's right now, you know, and he, stand, he sees Jesus standing up. Jesus will stand up big on the inside of you in your darkest hour. That's why your darkest hour is faith's right. finest hour. I am the resurrection literally means this when he said that I am the stand up and the recovery. Number three, <laughs> number three, when faith becomes your darkest hour, or your finest hour is when you see God's reward as greater. Listen to verse 26. He regarded disgrace. <laughs> we all want to be so cool as Christians, don't we? He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. You know, I read toward the, uh, just earlier in, in this, this uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews. I'm just going to read this so good. This is so good. Verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. What? <laughs> Faith's finest hour is when you don't even see anything coming your way, but you're still sticking it out. You're still believing. You're just still like a, like a, a pit bull grabbing a hold of somebody's, uh, you know, pant legs. You're, I'm not letting go. Arr, you know, our dog, we got these toys. He grabs a hold of that. Arr, he loves to pull on that thing. He's not letting you lift them off the ground. He's not letting go. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. Are you a foreigner and a stranger on this earth just passing through or have you dug in and this is all there is baby and I'm going to get everything here well you are you are in for a real surprise it's like a big monopoly game at the end you take all the chips and the cards and everything else the board gets folded up puts it in the box and, and, and the game is finished people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own if they'd been thinking of the country that they had left they would have had opportunity to return Verse 16, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. I want to love this bit. Therefore, God is not ashamed. God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Mrs. Peterson said to me, Ed, if you've missed heaven, you've missed it all. I'd go to bed thinking she's right. She's right. Live for this world. Live for, the, live for, for Egypt. You miss heaven. You've missed it all. Mark 8, 38. If anyone is ashamed of me, Jesus says, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the Father's glory with his holy angels. Who are you worried about right now with you and your big reputation right now? Why don't you drop that right now and do what the elders did? Take your crown off. Throw it on the ground. Prostrate yourself before God and worship God and say, you are worthy, God. I thank you that there's 
greater reward where I'm going. Blessed are people when they, blessed are you when people insult you, Matthew 5, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse uh, 20, uh, chapter 25 and verse 23 of Matthew, the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in that which is the least or the little, which is the, the junk in this world. Come on in and share in the happiness that I have. Point number four, how are you going to turn face? How does God turn face uh, the, uh, uh, the darkest hour, rather, into face finest hour? Leave no room for surrender. Verse 27, Hebrews 11, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Have you ever noticed the importance of flags? Probably not. But notice that for right now. You know, flags represent a country. And if you look at the Olympics, somebody wins something, the flag goes up, and the national anthem, and they're proud as punch. You know, it's their flag and their national anthem. And flags are something that, that uh, are very incredibly powerful as a symbol, especially going into battle. But there's one flag that no army or navy that I could find a record of is ever packed. You don't take it in the battle. In fact, if you do have to raise this particular flag, you've got to find a piece of garment that's white. But you don't pack it. You don't go in expecting to lose. There is no surrender. And when it comes to the things of God, there's a flag that we should never be taken in the battle. We never use this as the national symbol. You see, there is no white flag in faith, even in the darkest hour. No army carries this in the battle. Don't pack a white flag. Surrender to Satan is not an option. If you think things are going to get better if you give in to him and he gets his way in your life and you, uh, you know, turn over to the pleasures of this world and you, and you go that way, it'll only get worse because he doesn't go, oh, yeah, you put the white flag up. Oh, cool. We won't. Demons don't shoot them anymore. Don't attack them anymore. No, they will launch an all-out attack on you and you will be finished. Finished. Your darkest hour becomes faith's finest hour when you refuse to surrender. I'm going to finish with this. In June 18th, 1940, Hitler's armies had blitzkrieg across Europe. They took out Poland. They took out some easy targets. Then they come to France, and they defeat the French, and they defeat the British, and the, the, the British get rescued off of Dunkirk. Go see the movie. It's pretty cool. His army is, is advancing, and now there's really one thing that's going to stop them. America hadn't entered the war yet, not until the Japanese bombed uh, Pearl Harbor. And Sir Winston Churchill, he gives his second speech, I believe it was. I think he's been prime minister by, uh, for about six months or something like that. And I'm going to read you his speech right now. And I'm not going to do it in my Winston Churchill voice because you'll just laugh and I can't do it anyway. The Battle of France is over. <laughs> the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. This is his words, 1940. Upon it depends our own British life and the long 
continuity of institutions in our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be freed and the life of the world may, be may move forward into broad sunlit uplands. If we fail, the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age, made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore embrace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its Commonwealth lasts for a thousand years, men will say this was their finest hour. I wonder, church, right now as we close, if we could dare to say that our darkest hour is going to be our finest hour. If we could dare to say there is no white flag that I've packed going into this. If we could dare to say, like Moses, I refuse to eat whatever it is that's not of God. If we would dare to say my identity is not child of Satan, my identity is child of God. If we could dare to raise the blood-soiled flag of Jesus Christ, our Savior, with the cross. If we could dare to say that I choose to be on his side, I choose to suffer affliction if I have to, because the darkest hour of this world will be face finest hour for my world and for the kingdom of God. I just wonder if there's somebody here that would say yes to Jesus right now instead of saying yes to what this world has to offer. I just wonder if this could be your finest hour and faith's finest hour and the church's finest hour if, if we have a resolve like these heroes who don't see themselves as heroes that we are not going to quit. We will never give up. We shall never surrender. Surrender. It's not even an option. No matter how bad it gets, there is a glory from heaven and God is on the throne. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to close with that. But I encourage you, go, go ahead and read uh, the rest of the verses. I'm going to read them anyway. Why would I close? Women received back their dead. Listen to this, verse 35 of Hebrews 11. There were others who were tortured. This is faith's finest hour refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Verse 37, they were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Those, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Wow. Verse 40. Since God had planned something better for us, so that together with us would they be made perfect. They did it so you and I would have a gospel to read and get inspired by. We need to do it so that future generations 
have this gospel to be inspired by, even if we don't get the promised thing, even if we don't see whatever it is, even if we don't get what we want. That's the resolve of the cross. I want to pray for you and those that are listening on online. Sometimes salvation becomes a sales job. Get saved. You're going to get this, 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 and this. I'm telling you right now, you might just get persecuted. <laughs> oh, I guess I'll try. I'll try it. No, you don't try this. This isn't like try this flavor of, of ice cream or gelato. This is a life decision. I'm going to cross the line. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. And all hell might just break loose. And right now, if that's you and you don't know him, he is your savior. Ultimately, we win. Ultimately, eternity is a lot longer than a few years on this planet. But if you don't know him and you're listening to us online or you're here right now, I want to give you the chance to get to know Jesus Christ, to make a decision to cross the line called faith and invite him into your heart right now. Not a formula, it's a prayer. If you mean this and you'll, you'll speak this prayer out, the Bible promises you shall be saved. So with every eye closed right now, between you and God, yes, there is a price to pay. But man, I'm encouraging you to pay that price right now and say yes to Jesus. So pray this after me. Say, dear God, I thank you for loving me that much that you would send your son Jesus, I invite you into my heart. You are the Lord of my life, and I will follow you from this moment forward. No surrender to this world. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God loves you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.